Welcome to a very special episode of Updates from the Middle of Nowhere. I'm Liren. No, no I'm not. Uh, this is Jeff, Liren's husband. Uh, in what may have been an ill-advised effort to help her fear better, I offered to record an episode for her while her voice is out. So let's begin with a note from her, shall we? Liren writes, Dear wonderful listeners, it probably won't surprise you to hear that being unable to speak is the closest thing to torture I've suffered in quite some time, although I suspect my beloved husband appreciates the break, so I'm relieved this didn't happen at Dexcon. When he offered to record an episode for me, I seriously, and I mean seriously, in all caps, considered writing an ode to things I've praised about him in previous episodes, which I won't make him list here, but I think you'll all know what I'm referring to. In an effort not to abuse his generosity, I decided not to go with that very strong urge, and instead will make him the first interview on my show. The only abuse I will heap on him is to ask that he read the questions I ask in the interview in a silly voice of his choosing. I give him free license to mock me if it will make him happy. I'm sure you can hear me giggling as I type this, even if it's only on the inside, because I seriously can't make so much as a squeak right now. In my convalescence, I've been catching up on legendary Anchorite podcasts, and as much as I love returning to the community, part of the torture of laryngitis is that I can't send messages. Rest assured that I'm very much enjoying your shows, even if I can't call in. Without further ado, let the interview begin. So back to being Jeff. So, I do do some funny voices sometimes in my games. I'm not terribly skilled as a voice actor of any manner, and usually the voices that I do are probably terribly poor caricatures of things that I've heard online. They have to be very much over the top. There's not a lot of subtlety to them, and I'm sure that they are insensitive to the people of the culture from which I am parodying or mocking or just trying desperately to uh, to make my British Lord sound more like Lord Grantham on Downton Abbey and less like Thurston Howell III on Gilligan's Island. So I will choose a voice for this that is, perhaps will get me in the least trouble, so perhaps I will use my, my pirate voice for the questions, in that there are very few pirates around anymore, and the few that are I don't think sound much like the ones from Pirates of the Caribbean. Yar, when did you start playing role-playing games, and what was the first game you played? So like so many other gamers of my generation, I started playing role-playing games in about 1980, 1981, with the Redbox set of D&D. And for the longest time, I owned the AD&D Dungeon Master's Guide and none of the other books which made it an interesting read to try to go through and understand what was going on and what they were talking about. Later, one of my friends bought the player's handbook and eventually we scrounged up enough to get a monster manual and then things finally started to take shape and actually fill in the blanks. Uh, the Red Box was a pretty good introduction, I found. Um, we played a lot of it and I liked it. I'm sure we played it wrong. Uh, or not even close to rules as written, but it was a it was, it was certainly imaginative and fun and way different for the time than anything else uh, that we were doing or had experienced. On a side note, I wanted to point out that back in the day, it was pretty hard to actually find uh, D and D materials 
They weren't in any of the major stores. I actually remember finding an end cap in a drug store next to the magazine rack that had some D&D modules on it. And I would visit that every couple weeks when my parents went grocery shopping to try to see if there's anything new or different or anything that I had saved up my allowance to buy. I also remember buying my AD&D Dungeon Master's Guide from, I think it was a rack in the bike shop because they had realized, I guess, diversification of marketing. But it seemed a weird place to buy a a D&D book. But at the time, there weren't any real game stores, and everything that you would get in a large, like, Sears-type outlet was all very, very mainstream stuff. Did you play continually after that? Or were there times that you moved away from the hobby? I played pretty continually through high school. I had uh, friends that... Uh, We'd often take weekends and play um, very long sessions of giant battles with. Uh, In college, I I moved away from D&D a little bit and started to play Rollmaster a lot, as that was what the group that I was involved with there seemed to be playing more, or Chartmaster or Tablemaster, whichever you want to call it. Uh, it was uh, it was pretty good um, for the time, and looking back on it, I'm not sure how we managed to make it through all those charts and tables, but we did, and we, we found fun in those books, and I still think there's a lot of fun to be had there. Uh, after college, when work hit, uh, I kind of moved away from gaming for a good 10 or 12 years, so I had a, a real downtime right after college, but I don't think that's abnormal or weird. A lot of people seem to go through that as your life changes and it's harder to find the time and uh, the effort to and get together with friends and find people who share the same interests. It's fairly easy when you're in college or in high school and you're jammed together with a whole lot of people with semi-similar interests uh, for long periods of time for years at a time. Tell us about ye landlubber thighs. So I played soccer uh, for several years, a long time ago, and I really have no idea why. Um, That is the single thing that isn't like falling apart on me on a regular basis at this point in life. So you started out playing the Dungeons and the Dragons. When did you move on to more narrative games, R and indie games, and what was the first one? So in about 2005 it was, the gaming group that I was gaming locally with was playing a lot of Savage Worlds, and they were also playing a lot of miniatures games, including Chronopia and Warzone. And we found, someone in the gaming group found that there was a convention being held in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, called Southern Exposure, and a bunch of the folks who did line development work, I believe, for Chronopia were going to be there running games, and they really wanted to go to play games uh, with the developers. And at the time, I was, I was playing a lot of uh, war games and Savage Worlds. So we packed up and we headed up to New Jersey. In uh, I'm going to have to check, but I think it was spring, uh, to this convention, which doesn't exist anymore. And in between playing war games and looking around, uh, I stumbled across some role-playing games that I had never heard of before and I sat down at a table to play a game called With Great Power run by 
the gentleman who had wrote it, um, Michael Miller and, and his wife Kat, uh, who are uh, to this day good friends of mine, good con friends, and I was hooked. Uh, it was a narrative game about superheroes uh, that did kind of superhero-y soap opera stuff. Um, I have to say the mechanics of using multiple card decks for resolution were a little daunting to me, but I enjoyed the game so much that I bought a copy at the con uh, to have, and I knew that I wanted more of these role-playing games that weren't just about killing stuff and uh, take and looting it and then buying bigger loot, but were more about stories and more about connections between players and NPCs. So the Southern Exposure Convention in Cherry Hill, New Jersey only lasted another year uh, before it closed down. But the group that ran it, um, the Double Exposure Group, uh, had two other conventions, uh, Dreamation in February and Dexcon in July. And I have been a, a faithful participant in almost every one since then, uh, going on, I guess it would be almost uh, almost 15 years now. I missed one or two due to illness or uh, other commitments, but almost all of them I have attended, and the vast majority of them I have run uh, games of different things at. A note from Liren. Are you sick of doing the funny voice yet? Question mark. Yar, I am, but a pirate does not go back on his word. Does you remember the first game you ran at a convention? The first convention game I think that I ever ran was probably at Dragon Con because Dragon Con is a very expensive convention and we were going down there because several people in my gaming group were uh, super um, enthralled with all the media presence and seeing their the actors and getting autographs and, uh, and posters and pictures and stuff and I went and, and engaged with the gaming and in order to uh, try to make it a little bit um, less costly. You could run some games and you could get part of your badge comped, I believe. It may have been the full badge, I don't really remember, but we, we did it because we, we wanted to run games and uh, it made things a little easier for us and it was fun to have something that you could say you went and did. And the first uh, set of games that we ran down there were Savage Worlds games and they were set in a set of modules uh, that have been published by a group that doesn't exist anymore called 12 to Midnight, most of which I think has been folded into the East Texas University stuff. East Texas University is a, is a horror uh, setting for Savage Worlds. It's, it's very, very good. Um, and this was kind of the proto stuff to that. And uh, myself and my friend John went down and we ran. Um, I, I was scheduled to run a game uh, for a, a scenario called Weekend Warriors, which is about a group of National Guard soldiers doing their weekend um, and having the zombie apocalypse thrust upon them. And what was originally assigned to me as a table of six players uh, rapidly grew to uh, two tables where we had, I think, a total of 13 or 14 players. And John ran one table and I ran the other, and we would quickly confer about every 15 minutes about where the, the PCs were and and uh, whether or not they were interacting and what they heard happening. Um, and it was a glorious, glorious mess and everybody had a, a great time. But wow, I, I don't think I would, uh, I would 
attempt to do that again anytime soon. What are your favorite narrative games you've run at conventions? So in a rare feat of either digital hoarding or organization, I actually collected all my game descriptions into a text file. So I went back and I looked at all the games that I have run over the past 13 years at conventions. It turns out there were about 25 different systems included there, so as you can tell, uh, I, don't, uh, I don't tend to stick with things for too long. Uh, but overall, the one that I have run the most of at any convention is a game called Primetime Adventures. So Primetime Adventures is a game that was originally published in 2004. It's gone through two revisions since then. It's by a company called Dog-Eared Designs, and the author is a gentleman by the name of Matt Wilson. Uh, it is currently in print, and you can get it from the Dog-Eared Designs website. Um, it is a game about making up a TV show and then playing through episodes of that TV show as the characters in that show. So it mostly is a game of drama, sometimes comedy, but comedy is a bit harder. Mostly it's drama and it's about interpersonal relationships. But being modeled after a TV show, it tends to want to uh, be a long game, a game that you play over multiple sessions. and the series arcs in the game are, generally speaking, uh, six episodes, a pilot, and five subsequent episodes, or uh, I believe it's a pilot and 11 episodes for a, a series of 12 total episodes, which is not something I've, I have ever managed with any of my home groups. Uh, but I did manage to play a six-episode arc uh, through six different conventions with some returning players um, of a scenario called Cold Sleep that was about a cryo ship and the, uh, the occupants of that cryo ship waking up in preparation for landfall and things not being the way they should have been. So PTA is probably the game that I've, I've had the most commitment to over the years and after running a series arc like that I can say that it really uh, it really works, it works well, and um, it's a tremendous game if what you want to play is something in the interpersonal uh, uh, relationship drama um, uh, type of uh, game slash uh, campaign slash TV show. One of the other games uh, that I, I ran to some, some reasonable success I was I hacked Smallville, uh, the Smallville RPG to do fantasy and a scenario called Saying Goodbye that was about a group of fantasy adventurers who, um, having been a party and uh, raided all the dungeons and done all the things, had split up and gone their separate ways and had all these unaired grievances and secrets they were keeping from each other and then had to come back together at the funeral of, uh, of one of their um, adventuring party. And that, that scenario worked really, really well. Uh, several times I have run a Dread scenario. Dread is a game, a horror game, where the resolution mechanic is a Jenga tower. And you have to do pulls from the Jenga tower uh, to complete the action. And if the tower falls, then your character dies. Uh, I wrote a scenario for that uh, called Crush Depth. That was about a downed submarine in the middle of the North Atlantic in World War II 
um, with a slight Cthulhu bent and that went over really really well. Another game that I get asked to run a lot uh, that I enjoy running is Monster Hearts which is a Powered by the Apocalypse game of uh, teenagers who are also monstrous in some way. Uh, I run it um, much more like an episode of Buffy uh, the Vampire Slayer than anything terribly deep and I try to keep it very light um, and so maybe I don't hit on all of the issues that the original author intended uh, but it is a very solid game and it is a lot of fun um, and the teen drama is always is always good food for for um, uh, folks can really connect to it and really dig into it because I don't know anybody who had teenage years that were smooth and without drama. The most recent con, I ran a game for several people that was essentially Downton Abbey with vampires, um, which was quite fun, uh, all in Monster Hearts. I'll share one more game because I'm sure folks are getting bored of listening to me talk about games in short and not really describe them, but one of the other conventions that I go to every year is Camp Nerdly, which happens in Prince William Forest uh, in Northern Virginia. And uh, one of the things that we developed there, myself and uh, a friend named Adam, is that we run a game, it's called Witch the Road to Lindisfarne, and it's by Pompeii Crew Games, I believe, out of the UK. And it is a very loose uh, role-playing game about a group of people and a witch. And they're in London in 1350. And the plague is ravaging uh, uh, Britain. And they have to take the witch to be burned at the stake at Lindisfarne. And it is a story of that, that road trip. And it's on rails. And it's, uh, it's an interesting game. It deals with a lot of really heavy issues of uh, love and duty and faith. Um, and brings out a lot of stuff. It, it, it's, it's quite good. I, I very much enjoy the game. Um, but what we do that is slightly different at Nerdly, uh, usually every year, sometimes um, both nights, but almost always one night, is we do it as a walking LARP. So we set the scenes, there are five scenes, and we set the scenes at different places throughout the campground, and we start about dusk, and we walk out, and we, we do each of the scenes and make it a little bit more LARPy, as we move along and then we end at the fire pit and the uh, the burning of the witch, if it's going to occur because there is a voting mechanic within the game, then revolves around the player characters taking and putting logs onto the fire as the witch uh, has to stand there kind of in front of the fire. And it's, it's very evocative, it's very cool. It's I don't do a lot of LARP and it's one of the things that I've done that uh, it really makes a, an impact on people and it makes the game much more uh, vibrant, and I really like that. Uh, so that was, that's been a really great thing. You made a game once, didn't you? What was it like? Oh goodness, in about um, 2007, I think it was, I decided one year that I would do the Game Chef competition, which is a two week long uh, competition where people sign up to basically try to write a role-playing game in two weeks. And uh, what I found out from that is it's really hard to write role-playing games. It's really hard to write clear, concise, unambiguous rules. And I think what's even harder is trying to get the rules in your game to actually make sense 
and and get the the emergent play at the table that you want or the things that you you would like to have happen out there. So the game I wrote for that was called Things Held Dear and it was a game about kids and the relationships that they had to their imaginary friends slash monsters and it was heavily influenced by monsters and other childish things and a couple other uh, very heavy narrative games and it was terrible. It didn't play well, the economies didn't work, um, it was really really hard to get what I wanted out of that game even though I had a great concept um, moving that to the table was extremely difficult. So years later looking back on it I realized that what I was so enamored with in that game was what the the LARP community calls bleed which is when the um, the things that the character are doing emotionally impact what the player and the player actually can see themselves in the character or have some resonance there with the emotional state of the character they're playing. Uh, and I realized none of that when I wrote the game, and that's probably why it was terrible. And also, Bleed isn't something that I think you can really orchestrate a ton of because it requires that the players have some common connection that you're writing into your game, and not all players are the same. Anyway, it's a tricky subject and something that I'm sure LARP people are yelling at me about right now. But, uh, but yeah, writing a game is hard. You should definitely try it. It will teach you to really uh, admire clean and concise and well laid out rule books and rules that make sense. When are you going to put out another episode of your podcast, The Tome of All Dooms? So, a couple weeks prior to the convention... Uh, life just got way ahead of me, and there was too much going on, and something had to give. So I managed to put out a, uh, an episode of uh, my podcast, The Tome of All Dooms, about 50 Fathoms, and then I kind of went silent for a while, and I haven't really restarted it yet. Uh, so I'm not sure when the next episode is coming out, because I'm also thinking about retooling the podcast into something that might generate more conversation, or be more, would, would, I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure what I'm doing with it. But I know that doing reviews is great, and people do like them, but they rarely generate feedback or conversation. And what's great about Anchor is having that conversation and having that feedback, and I'd like to engage with that more. So I'm, I'm thinking of some things to do in that space. So once I figure out what exactly I'm doing, then I will endeavor to put out another episode of my podcast. Don't fear, I haven't gone away. I'm just trying to take it slow and make good decisions. Yar, it be a closing note from Liren. You can stop doing the funny voice now. I hope that you have enjoyed this interview. I find my husband fascinating, and I'm sure you will too. I have no doubt that your stories are equally interesting, and I'd love to hear them, so let me know if you'd be willing to let me interview you over Skype or Discord or whatever software you'd like to use. I'd also love to hear your thoughts on this interview and any questions you have for Jeff. All the best. I'll be back soon. Liren.